Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. Hello, Ivy Church. Hello, Ivy Church. Welcome to Ivy Church. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Okay, welcome. Um, quiz time. What's the name of the world's tallest building? While you're thinking, the Great Pyramid in Giza was the highest in recorded history until 1311 when Lincoln Cathedral was built. The record remained here in Europe for the next 600 years until the Chrysler Building in New York took the title away from the Eiffel Tower in 1930, until the next year when the Empire State Building came and took the title and held it for the next 42 years. There's been a bit of a race on since then, but even though I've only seen it from a distance rather than swinging off it like Tom Cruise, there's no question the Burj Khalifa in Dubai is the world's tallest twice the size of the Empire State Building. With 165 floors, it reaches up just over half a mile from the, from the desert floor. It uses as much electricity as a whole city. So yes, it has its detractors. It was named, by the way, after a man, the ruler of Abu Dhabi. We will all have times, I imagine, when we stop and look at our lives and think, what am I building? What for? What's gonna matter? What's gonna last? Will anything outlast me? And as we look at the world that we live in and the nations and those holding and exercising power in different ways and systems that operate, we can ask questions about that too. When we see injustice and inequalities and how do we build better? Even in the church, how do we lead and structure the ways we can do that so we don't operate by manipulation and domination or control because we see how those kind of things can take over. Yes, even in churches, Even when something started out with the best and the most godly of intentions, it can go wrong. And as we continue this series in our year of blessing, we're going to look today, we've been tracking through Genesis, and today we're going to read about the building of another skyscraper. In modern-day Iraq, the famous Tower of Babylon was built. But remember, the Bible's not just a history book, and though unfortunately it's so often dismissed as some obsolete lessons and legends. It's God's way to teach us patterns and principles that once you see them, they can help you discern your own life and our world and even what's going on today. So if you've been looking through the story and been with us on the series, this is after the great flood as God tells the people again to go out across the earth now and bless the world and be a blessing like he'd said right at the beginning to Adam and Eve. But somebody there had a very different idea. Somebody said, hey, how about we build a tower to reach up to heaven? Genesis 10, just before the the chapter we're going to look at, shows us that all peoples, all nations and ethnicities have a common origin and the nations are listed there. And then we get to Genesis 11 and it says, now the whole earth had one language and the same words, literally one lip. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain between two rivers in the land of Shinar and settled there. So this is where the first city cities were going to be built. They didn't find rocks there, so verse 3, they said to one another, come, let us make bricks. The word bricks is more or less the same Hebrew word as Babylon, with the letters scrambled around. Let's get bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. 
Then, with this brand new technology, they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top, actually its head, in the skies. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, see, they are one people and they all have one language and this is what they've begun to do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. See, God has been telling the people that he made, all with a common origin, the family of humanity, the family of God, to go into all the earth as a blessing to it, fill the earth, be fruitful and multiply God's blessing, be a blessing everywhere you go. But when they get here, they stop, they don't go. They say, no, this huge group of people end up on this fertile plain, 65 miles south of modern Baghdad. And they're like, it doesn't get any better than this. We want to stay here. Let's stick together. And they're led by a giant of a man, we find out from the previous chapter, called Nimrod, which you could also translate as rebel. Chapter 10 tells us Nimrod was a hunter. He became the world's first celebrity. He was the most famous man on earth. He was renowned, if you like, for his great sporting prowess. A mighty man on the earth, it says. The name of Nimrod, it said, was spoken about everywhere. It became the stuff of legends. This powerful, violent man gathers a fan club and starts to build an empire. The first of his kingdoms is Babylon. And after that, it says that he built Nineveh and then three more great cities. So you, you get the picture here. Do we see how this happens? United by a charismatic, powerful, violent, human leader and he's a hunter he knows how to trap people too so he says we must all speak the same language we must all say the same thing in the same way that's what he calls unity everybody obey me say what i say you can say and no doubt he polices that really closely because now he wants everyone to make bricks he tells them if they do that he will create something great or we will create something great the means by which they intend to achieve greatness involve the invention of a new technology called bricks. They figured out how you can build so much faster now than old school stones, they literally decided, let's build a skyscraper. They didn't find rocks and stones to build there on that fertile alluvial plain, so they made bricks out of dirt and clay and discovered the process of burning them first in the sun, then in a kiln, until they become hard, impermeable bricks pretty much like we have today, all the same shape and size. They also went to the tar pits, which are common throughout the Middle East, and took out some of the sticky natural asphalt to use for mortar. So now they had a substitute for stones and cement. They had bricks and mortar, man-made building materials for a man-glorifying project. This is the first mention of bricks, but you'll see bricks appear again in Exodus, for instance, with Pharaoh's building projects in Egypt. And again, that's no accident because of the kind of pyramid style leadership and project that you have. And the contrast with bricks in the Bible is with the natural made, God made 
stones. God said his temple must never be made out of bricks, it must be made out of stone. He said the altar there to him must be made out of stone. It was evil kings worshipping idols who made them out of brick. Do you remember how Elijah came and rebuilt the altar, rebuilt the stones in contrast to how the prophets of Baal were worshipping? What's the difference? It's very symbolic. If you've ever played with Lego, you know when you're looking for a certain piece of a certain size, you can, you can pick up any of the matching pieces. It, it's not like a jigsaw where you have to find the one and only piece that will work in a particular place for a particular job. The rabbis say the bricks represent people. The message of the brick is that bricks are interchangeable. Every brick is pretty much like the others, but stones, you see, are all unique and irreplaceable. People are not bricks. But the first way you can identify tyrannical systems and rulers is they want them all not only saying the same words, which you, which you control, but you also want them all to be the same, to be interchangeable parts of your system. Human systems that build tyrannical empires view people as bricks. They're only important for what they can do if they fall in line. You use people to do things, but each one is ultimately dispensable. But the way that God builds, his vision of the kingdom sees each and every person that he made as living stones, the Bible says. Every natural stone is unique and precious and every one of us has personalities. We have freedom of expression, each different but all made in his image, which is, that's what unifies us, his image. We all have potential in our own way to make unique contributions that we can deliver to the world and of course in the church. We see really here that there are only two ways of organising human society. One will emerge as we continue and it's like Abraham, where somebody, an individual, hears and responds, follows the call of God to do what he says, to go where he says and to be a blessing. He's blessed and he becomes a blessing wherever he goes. That's one system. The other system is where we're controlled by that man-made humanistic system and those who lift themselves up to exercise earthly rule. Chapter 10, Genesis says, Nimrod is a hunter and he traps people cleverly to make them build the bricks and build his empire. He shows the bricks to the people. Hey, imagine what we can do with this. There'd been a flood not so long back there because the whole earth grew to unimaginable levels of wickedness not so long ago. Maybe Nimrod's comms guys say, you know what, we know God promised that he'd not flood the earth again, but who knows whether that might happen or not? Who knows whether what God says is true and whether we can trust him about what will happen or won't happen? Can we really trust God's word? Haven't we had some really unusual weather recently? And what if that nasty judgmental God decided to judge us like he did with our ancestors so unfairly? Let's build something so high that we, well, the richest and best of us at least, we will be able to survive anything that comes upon the earth. Think big. We could even reach to the heavens ourselves. We don't need God. We don't need stones. We're modern people. We're the masters of our fate. And with our technological brilliance, we are evolving so much that we don't need the old guy in the sky telling us anything, if you still believe he's up there. Reach for the stars because you are great. We can be anything. We can do anything that we set our minds to. If you all say what we tell you you can say and if you know your place and you do what we tell you we will build with bricks and you're just another brick in the wall be unique like everybody else and then you'll fit in
So that's the lesson of the bricks. And in Hebrew, mortar is the same word really as the word material or materialism. You can actually even hear the similar words in the English language. Uh, mortar, M-T-R, are the key consonants. Matter, material, materialism, same word essentially. And the lesson there is that to do anything, you have to bond people. You have to unify people with a sense of common purpose. How God does that is spiritually. Great things can be accomplished that make a change forever if we're bonded together in the bond of the spirit. But if you want to eliminate or destroy the spiritual, take God out of the picture in society, the way you can unify people and get them to do what you want is through materialism. Get people hooked on acquisition. Things they buy or wear or eat or need or not, but control them through fear or scarcity as Pharaoh later did about bricks. Again, if you remember, make a system where, where you find a way to get everybody in debt. So now they're all united in this great economic enterprise to build up the center by working together. Make everybody the same and think the same and talk the same like bricks and then control them somewhere through the economy, material things, through mortar, and then we can build. A utopia, a new world order. The Babylonians built many great towers through history called ziggurats with, with signs of the zodiac engraved on the ascending staircase and a shrine at the top. And Nimrod and company wanted one so high it would touch the sky and they would add in their own primeval religious mix, a spirituality to elevate humans to the heavens. Fulfill your potential, your highest aspirations, lift your spirits through the first great man-made building projects. And it's all about us. So guess who it's dedicated to? Let's make a name for ourselves. Babylon building or Nimrod Towers. He, he must have enslaved people to build this thing, but they wouldn't realise that. He wouldn't have called it that. He'd say, I, he wouldn't say, I am controlling you. He'd say, this is to set us all free. He wouldn't say, this is for me, it's for you. I'm a public servant, I'm doing this for you. It's for the tower, it's for the, the higher noble purpose, it's for the greater good. That's how tyrants work. Jesus said those who rule over, us, over other people in ways opposite to the way that he calls greatness, which is actually servanthood, he said they call themselves benefactors. But while the man at the top gets in a private jet, the children dig out the materials in the mines as slaves all day. While the people in the warehouse wear the nappies, the man with the plan gets in his spaceship. All the brick people line up, while whoever's on the top floor and reserved the penthouse for themselves says to them, this is going to be great for everybody. If you all just fall in line, if everybody's just a good little brick, like everybody else. We will create something, the like of which the world has never seen before. There'll be a monument here that honours us, honours humanity, and the top will reach to the world, will we'll reach from the world up to heaven. The word for top there is actually head, and the Hebrew word for tower is closely related to the word for greatness. So this is a great elevation of human pride. It's shaped like a human. Not only is the tower a great building, it's the physical representation of that human yearning to find something transcendent, some transcendent purpose in our lives, that insatiable hunger some people have, not to only grab all the power and rule the world, but take over for the glory of man. How often do companies build some enormous headquarters, not because they need the space, but because they want their vision admired. We can even do it in churches too. People go into the stratosphere, like Bezos, even Branson has a go at it here in the UK, whether or not it gets off the ground. 
But it's not just there that we see it and in them. We have to look at ourselves too. What are we aiming to build with our lives? How much of it is what God told us to build? Nimrod's way says, we can build a stairway to heaven. Serve me, work hard, do what I say, and you'll reach your highest goals. Just like Satan coming to Jesus and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He says, it all belongs to me and I can give it to anybody I want. Who wants it? All the world can give. But you lose your soul. So, let's be clear. Innovation is not the problem. It's motivation. Rebellion. Unity is not the problem. It's what God sees they're starting to do with it when they come together. Because they have this idea, like the famous quote says, man is the measure of all things. They want to put themselves above God. And of course it started in the Garden of Eden. It happens again here. And this actually isn't that far geographically. They're not moved really anywhere. Through scripture, it will keep on happening. Building Babylon. Babylon will keep on being built throughout history. And it's there throughout scripture as the anti-kingdom. It's the place God's people go to in exile. It's the global government. It's the one world religion. It's the antithesis of the kingdom of God. And it rises up in various guises through different leaders. And, and the idea is everybody can be free as long as you bow down and pay allegiance. And then it falls over when God judges it. Over and over, right through the history of Israel and the times that we're living through, into the end, the book of Revelation, Babylon is there as collective humanity working out their own way to peacefully rule the world. Throughout the centuries, people have tried many times to rebuild the Tower of Babylon, both literally and figuratively. Every attempt to be a self-made man or woman and to create a religion that accommodates humans rather than change them is another Tower of Babel. That's the Hebrew, Babel. In 1800 BC, Hamaburi tried to rebuild the Tower. 600 BC, Nabopolassar began its restoration and Nebuchadnezzar completed it in the time of Daniel. On the same plain of Shinar, do you remember he, he built an enormous idol, a statue of a man that everybody has to bow down and honour. In 475 BC, Xerxes destroyed it. In 330, Alexander the Great planned another restoration. In 500 AD, Babylon was abandoned, but in 2000 AD, a man called Saddam Hussein revealed his scale model of his intended rebuild. Here's the problem. See, if I build the tower, even if I get up higher, I'm still the same size, aren't I? I didn't get any bigger, even if it makes me feel like I did. All it does is make you feel kind of powerful. Though you're not, you're just the same human person, just a bit higher up. How often do we see in movies some guy up a high, huge tower named after himself? And yes, it pretty much is always going to be a man, unless you can correct me. And he's there looking out from the top floor office, running all the hedge funds and with presidents on speed dial, feeling invincible up there. What's going on in his character? What's his character going to be like? Is he a goodie? <laughs> see, when you're up that high place and you're looking down and everything's beneath you the people are beneath you you can see them if you can see them they're just like ants would a tower like that be good for your soul i don't think it would but the way the world views power means you kind of have to do that if you're going to go for success to literally seek high office but the bible says don't think too highly of yourself because god opposes the proud he gives grace to the humble. It says our attitude instead should be like Jesus. 
Philippians 2 shows us a different way, a different kind of unity. Rather than elevating ourselves, then it reminds us of how our God came down, stooped down from heaven, one step at a time, coming down, 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 to be with us and serve us and save us. And then he left a wooden ladder up that reaches to join heaven and earth, the, the, the cross of Calvary. There God says this, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. There's unity. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. King of kings, the Lord of lords, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. What did Jesus do? Did he make a great tower for himself? monument for himself. No, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So what happened when the King of Kings did this? Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. God lifted him up to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. He didn't make a name for himself. God gave him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Not to the glory of man, to the glory of God. And so we see here in our year of blessing that there are two ways to build the life. It's actually bigger than that because really this represents two spirits at work in the world right now and which will we bow down to? Which are we going to give allegiance to? See, both of them can seem to be engaging in great projects, uniting, bringing people together to build a better world. That's what they say they're doing. But only one is. The way of the kingdom is the opposite spirit to the empires of men. We build empires, not kingdom, when we elevate ourselves when we want to make a name for ourselves, when we want to build a brand or build a religion our way and how we think, not according to God's word. And it doesn't matter how impressive it looks or how much it costs or what new tech was used or how many people said, it's a great idea. Yes, they're starting to create here in Babylon what would be one of those great wonders of the world, but I'd rather see the wonders of the kingdom than the wonders of the world. They're unifying for their own version of a man-made utopia. But I'd rather see, like Jesus said, we can pray, the kingdom come and his will be done here on the earth as it is in heaven. They standardise the masses but elevate their own chosen personalities as they celebrate and worship one another and what their hands have built. And I love that here it says that God had to come down to see it. Like people build something our way and we look up and we think wow it's so amazing but really from heaven it's not that big and it doesn't last anyway. This, this one world alliance, this secret tyranny with elites elevating themselves through enforcing a man-made false unity and a human exalting temple of perverted false religion that has no power to change lives, ruled by violence and oppression and fear, that repeats itself through human history and there will always be a Babylon in this world. 
The empire-building impulse, controlled and manipulated by principalities and powers, working through powerful humans, demanding worship, and seizing power and controlling through materialism, and the fear, and the danger comes when you live there that you don't see it. Because it really can look like something great and wonderful is being built in unity. But we miss the kingdom. So the good news, of course, is that God weighs the nations as fine dust in his scale, scripture says. He's never going to be knocked off his throne. Nothing humanity could build is particularly big when you scale it next to the size of the real God. Our God is so small sometimes and he's, he, we've made him too small. But Psalm 2 says, The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. But the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Do you know what, may, what man-made object you can see from space? Another one for the quiz. Nothing. NASA says, when leaving the Earth's orbit and acquiring an altitude of more than a few thousand miles, no man-made objects are visible at all. See, I've stood next to the pyramids in Egypt. I went up the tower in Manchester to cloud 23 or whatever it is last week. It's it's overwhelming when you stand next to those buildings and you feel so tiny, when you, little old me, when you look up. But God looks down at anything that we've built for ourselves and for our glory and he's like, is that it? And so it says God dispersed them and he confused their languages. Why? Not because he was threatened by it, but because he wants us to be living stones. That's how he builds his kingdom. We're not bricks. Jesus is the cornerstone. And we come to him and we see his plan and we say, Lord, where do I fit in? How do you have to shape me to use me? What special plan do you have for me? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to build and be part of for your glory? I don't want to make a name for myself. It's about you. I want you to be the name above all names. And if we pray that kind of prayer and mean it, there's a different kind of unity. Not uniformity, but each of us finding our place to fulfil his purpose for the kingdom, seeking first the kingdom of God. Not bound together by fears of material wants and greeds and needs, but spiritually connected by the Holy Spirit in you and in me. And so now as we pray, offering ourselves back to God and recognising that God has put us where we are so we can build his kingdom right there and be blessed as a blessing everywhere that he sends us. In 1 Peter, as we pray now, I love it that he says, as you come to him, Jesus, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So let's pray as a spiritual house. Lord, in your wisdom, you made the earth and the nations and all the races and the people. And one day, people from all of them will come and bow down to worship the one Lord Jesus Christ. Not themselves, not their own achievements, not idols, not nationalistic pride or success, but Jesus Nothing material will last, all pride will be humbled. And Lord, may we be numbered among and may we add to that number of those from every tribe and tongue. As right now we worship you ahead of that time, confessing no other name is worthy but yours, because Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen.